Bibles, grab your Bibles, if you have your notebooks, your smartphones, your tablets. Um, we're going to look at God's Word for the next little while. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for this Word, your Word. We pray that as we look at the Scriptures, that it is by your Spirit that you are the one who is illuminating, reminding, convicting, bringing understanding that we would meet you in your word. Your word is alive, it is active, and we choose to see it now with eyes of faith. And we attune our minds and our hearts towards you that we would receive this word for ourselves, not listening with the filter of trying to press it onto somebody else, but Lord, that it would be us and you and you speaking directly to us as individuals. And so we ask that you do what only you can do through your word, and that is bring renewal, bring formation, bring transformation, that we would grow into your likeness, Jesus. So bless this in Jesus' name. When I spoke last, because I was away last weekend, I started what I'm, I'm wanting to be a series of messages. And it is a series of messages that comes from the book of Ephesians. And it's looking at this title, One and Many. Ephesians, just to set the context again, really is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus at the time was a very prominent city in uh, Asia Minor. It's now modern-day Turkey. And it was a, uh, a harbor city. It was a, a city of commerce, of influence. But the primary objective of the letter that Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus it wasn't to bring correction per se, whereas a lot of his other letters were. They were addressing something very specific. Something was kind of going off track. Paul knew who he was writing to. He was involved with the church that he was writing to. And so he was bringing very strong correction, bringing truth into error. Letter of Romans is slightly different because Paul had never been to Rome before writing the letter. And so Romans is his way of introducing himself to the believers in Rome. And it's a great way to look at the book of Romans because it's kind of like Paul's statement of faith in a nutshell. Ephesus is him writing to the church that he was personally involved with establishing. He had lived in Ephesus but he's not correcting. What he's trying to do is he's trying to deepen understanding. So he's building on what was already established. And the two key things that the letter of Ephesus is trying to bring understanding or deepening to is salvation by grace. Not salvation by works. It was salvation by grace, which is God's effort on our behalf to bring about a God result. Salvation by works is us trying to bring about a God result through our human effort. And we cannot save ourselves. 
It is only by God's grace, which is a gift through faith. And so faith is that key that allows us access into the land of God's grace. And in God's grace is the power unto salvation. So Paul really brings Ephesus, emphasis, <laughs> to Ephesus. Is that the right words? I'm so lost right now. It is a emphasis to emphasis. It's a tongue twister. Uh, about salvation by grace through faith. So that's a key objective. The other key objective is speaking about the role of the church in the purposes of God. So that's where we're going to land in a second, okay? But I just felt to pose a few questions to us this morning, just as a way of, of setting some context, uh, even as way of, of reminding us to, to really establish some big fundamental foundations before we come back into this one and many series, okay? Um, I am presuming in posing this question that the majority of us have our trust in Jesus. And now don't compare what your trust is or isn't, but just from the very basis of most of us would have our trust in Jesus. Jesus is Lord and Savior, and we are following Jesus. So the first question from this point of trusting in Jesus, what now is our primary objective in life? It's a big question to be asking ourselves, and it's an important question to be asking ourselves. From this place of now trusting in and receiving the grace of God, which brings about our salvation through faith. What now is our primary objective? Now, when you look through Scripture, because we're bringing it from a biblical worldview, I'm not trying to give you like a motivational talk. I'm not trying to give you like the latest business trend. I'm talking to you primarily from the filter of God's Word, His divine way for our lives. And really, when you look at it, for me, I can bring it into this simple statement that our primary objective is growing in loving union with Jesus. Like that, that's it. Our primary objective as followers of Christ is to grow in loving union with Jesus. The next question you ask then from that is how do we know that we're growing in our union with Jesus? Uh, what is it that is it about our lives that we can actually say, okay, I, I, yes, there is movement. Yes, there is depth. Yes, there is growth. Well, ultimately, the best way to gauge are we growing in union with Jesus, in our relationship with Jesus, is it's seen in our love for other people. Our love for others. That's, that's really where the rubber hits the road is if you can honestly say that your sincerity of love for others is deepening. Because these two things are directly correlated. There is a direct correlation between our growing in relationship with Jesus expressed in our love for others. Uh, the scripture that you can find 
John chapter 15, Jesus speaking, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Notice which love is first. We might look at the sentence structure and think that our love for others is first. But look at the wording. Love each other as I have loved you. So the actual order of love is his love first, our love for others expressed. So really the primary objective for us as Jesus followers is to grow in that relationship. And it will be evidenced in our love for others. They are directly correlated. The, the, the next question I want to pose to us as a way of building a, a bit of a foundation is, okay, from this place of growing in our loving union with Jesus, what is our ultimate purpose? Purpose could almost be like, what is the why of your life? Or perhaps we could say it like, what is the mission of our life? Now, I'm talking very, very broadly, and I'm talking this being the mission, purpose, and why for those of us who would have our trust in Jesus, this is expressed in quite a specific way for our individual lives, okay? But it begins in, in getting this basis right. So the primary purpose for our life, for me, really, is to be active, keyword, in seeing others coming into union with God. Now, union is a formal word for just saying relationship or friendship or and really, because I did those designs, relationship was too long a word for it to fit in succinctly. So I just used that word union, okay? You can replace it with relationship, friendship, following. Um, it is to be active in seeing others come into relationship with God by way of trust in Jesus and be active in seeing them grow in their relationship with God. That it is to see others be discipled. That's another way of, of putting it. So again, we're, we're trying to lay some foundations here, okay? As way of reminder, at the beginning of the year, we always speak of kind of like a vision series, which we title Future Church, the church that we want to become because we know that we're not there yet, and we would know that it is a journey. It's not just that we arrive at a project destination. This is about us being formed by Christ on a daily basis. Um, we want to become a church that is a wellspring of life. That's the type of church we want to become. Uh, we want to become a church that is a house of salvation. We want to become a church that are carriers of the good news. So those are the things that we highlighted right at the beginning of years. They all stem from these big questions. That our primary objective is to grow in loving union with Jesus, and that's being evidenced in our love for others. Our purpose or the why of our life is to be active in seeing others come into that relationship with Jesus. It is our mission. And, and I, we want to be a missional church. Now, there is a, a specific reason why I'm kind of talking these big, broad questions. And it is because the series title, One and Many, talking about from Ephesians, it can get a little bit kind of insular. Because I am going to start talking about us 
and the role that we play individually in our church. I'm talking about us as a body of the church. And I, I might even start touching on, on certain like structural God-ordained ways in order to facilitate the health of the church. And so it can get a little bit about us. I want us to always stay about them. It's good that we would have focus on us, health, wholeness, but we want to stay missional, right? Because there are people sitting outside of these four walls um, who are lost, who are broken, uh, who are in need of the good news, both practically and spiritually. And I feel like we're positioned in this time and space in order that we would be used by God to see his purposes being outworked. And so the, the primary purpose is that we would be active in seeing people come into union. Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I command. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks about how we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Can you imagine that? God is making his appeal to the world through you. And he's chosen you to do so. You might feel inadequate. You might feel not good enough. You might feel ill-equipped. But by grace, God has chosen you. I love it how Eugene Peterson in the message of Matthew chapter 5 says it like this. Let me tell you why you are here. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, why am I here? Let me tell you why you are here. You are here. I like it how Eugene Peterson phrases it. You're here to bring out like the flavors of the kingdom of God. He says it specifically like this. You are here to be salt seasoning. Brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you look at it in the more traditional version, it talks about being salt and light. That's why you are here. That wherever we find ourselves, why am I here? To bring out the God flavors. To bring out the light of God. Um, Next question is, what does success look like now in this context? Uh, I I have been for the last little while following a, a pastor who was a pastor for over 30 years in Queens, New York City. Uh, no longer is the senior leader of that particular church. He runs now like a, a ministry, and essentially the ministry is, is emotionally healthy discipleship or emotionally healthy leadership spirituality. Emotionally healthy, okay? He's talking about this concept of, of wholeness, and I've stolen his definition of success. Pete Skizero is his name. And he simply says, in the context of our faith and following Jesus, success is simply doing what the Father asks. Nothing more, nothing less. For me, I love that thought. But it leads into a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Do we know what the Father says? Is the Father speaking? Are we listening? (laughs) But that is success. Because we can have so many variations of what success is particularly if we start to define success in a what could be defined as a secular way of doing it or a worldly way of doing it, which is very quantitative. It's a hard word to say. Quantitative. So essentially, the emphasis is far more on quantity that if there is more, it is successful. 
kingdom of God doesn't necessarily work that way. Unfortunately, I feel like some environments, it's, it's strayed that way. But ultimately, true success is you and I, individually and now together, simply doing what the Father asks. Not adding, not subtracting. So we've answered these big questions, right? Um, and by all means, this is not me now dictating to you, but it is bringing to you what the Word speaks to us about in these big questions. And so really, it is up to you, ultimately, to settle these for yourself. But these are the answers that I can best see from God's Word when it comes to these big questions of life. Ephesians chapter 4. We're not going yet to verse 1, Adrian. Just hang on a sec, because I'll I'll bring back in what we started with, this portion of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Okay, this portion of scripture is now speaking about this one, this individual aspect of who we are in following Jesus, and the collective. So there is this one and many. And it's the way in which we are to live following Jesus that God created you individually has eyes on you individually. You are unique. You are God-ordained. Your life experience, your gifting, your passion, your skills, everything of what those are makes you a significant part of the body of Christ. Significant. But I love it how Paul speaks about it in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, don't allow this individual significance to get you to a place where you've blown yourself up to such an important place that now you think you are more important than the body. Because it's actually only as a part of the body does your part have any significance anyway. But it is significant. But it's like, okay, there is grace apportioned. Grace is this, like I said, unearned, undeserved God at work in your life. That is not through any of your effort, but simply because God loves and extends gift towards us. It's sometimes a difficult thing for us to get our head around, particularly because we live in such a performance-oriented, do-oriented type of society. We're like, we've got to earn everything, and we've got to deserve everything, and we've got to work for everything, and the the self-made person is like the highly esteemed person. In the kingdom of God, it's, it's all about him and not about us in the sense of outworking his purposes. That there's grace apportioned, okay? And it's, and it's specific grace. There is this generic grace, which is the power unto salvation. But then there is this apportioned grace to you, specific to your context. But then it goes into the collective, verse 11 of Ephesians 4. But Christ himself gave the apostles prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher. We touched on on that word actually being more combined than it is separate. Verse 12, to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And that's why I wanted to hit these big foundational things because we are going to spend a lot of time now talking on the body being built up, which is where I'm saying it gets a bit insular. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That for me is like, 
such an encouraging, motivational man, I have a desire that I would attain to the full measure of the fullness of Christ in my life. Like, can you imagine what that life looks like? And I don't look externally to what that life looks like, materially. I look at at the contentment, the satisfaction, uh, the freedom. I, I look at the fulfillment. I look at the joy. I look at everything of what the full measure of Christ can bring into my life. That no matter what circumstances are, the full measure of Christ in me is something I desire to attain. And it's something hopefully all of us would desire to attain. And, and we attain that by the body being built up through specific grace being apportioned. I just want you to ask yourselves more questions with regards to the church. Um, does your view of the church align with God's view of the church? I know you can answer that. In your list of priorities in life, where does the church sit? And ask those questions of yourself. Not to give me, Bevan the pastor, the answer, but to stand honestly and sincerely before God and say, if this is of significance to you, is this of significance to me? And it's aligning to what he has value upon. And I just want to say this to you. Uh, the way of God, for us to grow in the ways of God, does not come through isolation. It doesn't. It just does not. There is time for solitude. Absolutely. Times of solitude, we would see Jesus time and time again having moments of solitude. Quiet, still, rest, silence, receiving, all of those things. Hugely valuable. But you would never see Jesus being isolated. He, being God, chose to outwork the purposes of God with others. If we think that we can do it in isolation, it just won't happen. And so I'm not trying to say to you that you now have to be a part of this localized body for your entire life and if you are not, then there will be judgment bestowed upon you. But it is to say, for the remainder of your days in following Jesus, let it be in community, in community of faith, and not in isolation. Because the ways of God, we are designed for us to follow Him with others. Him with others. So now we're going to Ephesians 4, 1, okay? Which is the key scripture that I just wanted to finish off with this morning. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So now we're zoning in right here now to you and me as an individual, okay? We're getting very individual with this passage of scripture. Are you living a life worthy of the calling that is bestowed upon you. Now, how does that make you feel? Just sit on that for a second, okay? For me, it can kind of go two ways. 
the one way which is so self-consumed sees that as being like fairly overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, like, am I actually living worthy of the calling that is upon my life? And, and, and I, I start to feel like it's heavy. I start to feel like it's this burden. And I start to feel like I'll never live up to that worthiness. The other road that I try to go down is the road of grace, whereby, yes, there is a calling that is upon me and upon you, and the worthiness to that calling has far more to do with my trust and my faith and my abiding in Jesus than it does with me working it out through brute force and hard work. And that actually, when you think about what worthiness is, worthiness is, is so much about value. Like, if something is worthy, we're, we're, we're indicating to it value. Is it valuable? How much value do we put upon it? And so, when you think about it in the context of you and God, you have to know, or at least come to know, how valuable you are in God. So much so that he would make a way for you, knowing that you cannot make a way for yourself. Knowing your imperfections and your flaws and your failings, yet still in his loving kindness and grace, extends grace towards you. That he sees you as so valuable that Jesus would die so the value thing is, is, is huge, okay? But it's also to bestow value upon God from us. That we would recognize that we are alive right now, breath in our lungs, for a specific reason. And if there is anything that I was attracted to a life of Jesus by, it was to know that my life matters. Your life matters, not in comparison to somebody else's life. Now it's like I am better than them or they are better than me. So I matter because I'm better or I don't matter because they are better. You in yourself matter to God and you matter to the world. You matter to us. You, you matter to a world. Your life is valuable. For me, if I, if I step into the grace aspect of that one line, like, is your life worthy of the calling? If I step into that grace side of things, what starts to build is actually an excitement. It's an it's a, like, opportunity. It's, it's something of an adventure. It's something of a joy that starts to build in me because I think to myself, okay, I am uniquely created by God as you are. And I don't believe God makes mistakes. So he obviously has reason for my existence and has designed me as such and has also even used what was prior to my connection to him or can use for his purposes. So the mistakes that I've made, the dumb things that I've done, uh, the, the, the trauma that I've had or lived out or, or all the junk 
we can think, oh my gosh, that's not worthy. Well, God is able to take all that, now connect it to him and use it for the good, for the good of your life, for the good of society, for the good of the kingdom, according to his purpose, right? And so when you hear that, are you living a life worthy? Choose to step into the grace aspect of it, not the self-focused aspect of it, which now can be like, oh, shame is coming into my life and I'm not living according to that. Get into the grace part of it and start to ask yourself the question, have I allowed my passions to subside? Have I allowed my dreams to go dormant? Have I, have I dismissed life experience or skill or passion or what I find to be enjoyable and kind of set those aside when actually God is saying to you, all of your life matters, all of what you have right now is important and, and I have purpose for you. There is calling upon you. Live worthy simply means to live like in the fullness of what that is. Eugene Peterson says it like this. In light of all of this, Ephesians chapter 4 in the message. In light of all of this. In light of all of what? Let me just go back to the ending of Ephesians chapter 3, okay? For this reason, Paul speaking, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask and imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. That's what he's saying in light of all of this, of all of this power, of all of this majesty, of all of this love, of all of this grace, of all of this purpose, in light of this Ephesians 4, in light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up as a prisoner, Paul speaking, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. Run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want you sitting around on your hands. I don't want you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Are you running? Like, are you running that road that God might have for you? And it's just a good place to ask yourself. Don't dismiss the passions, the joys, the life experiences, the skills. The You are here for a reason. We are here for a reason. And may we, by God's grace, live worthy of that calling. Can I pray over you? Pray with you. Father, I pray blessing and grace over every single person here this morning, but every person represented in our community. Lord, that your hand of divine grace would be upon us. And that as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, we received that same prayer, Lord, that we would come to know this incredible power that exists within us by your Spirit, that we would grow into the fullness 
that we would live out this calling, that we would say we are worthy of it by your grace. One and many, Lord God, we are individuals uniquely created for purpose, but together we see this purpose being outworked. So may we go from this place and carry you into our spaces, into our world. And Lord, we want to pray right now for people in our life, our loved ones, our friends, our family, our work colleagues, whomever we have interaction with. And may we be that salt and light. And may we be a house of salvation. Lord, we call for the salvation of people in our life, that they would turn to you and receive your grace. Bless people, bless households, in Jesus' name.